All right, brothers and sisters. So now we know how we're to approach God in prayer, and we understand that we must have faith, that we must come, come before God and into his presence with confidence and belief, and that we know that we can come before our God boldly, and we know that it is impossible, it is impossible to please God without faith. So, is there a wrong way to pray? Actually, there is. Let's talk about it. It is absolutely necessary to have the right attitude when we come before God in prayer. We should not come before God grudgingly. We should not come before God because it's just something that we feel we're obligated to do out of a sense of repetition. But our attitude, as I said before, brothers and sisters, it becomes evident very quickly in prayer that the outward actions have nothing to do with it, but the heart has everything to do with it. Because look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the street so that they may be seen by men. But you, when you pray, enter into your closet, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret shall reward you openly. Prayer it's personal. It's our personal communication with God the Father through the Lord Jesus. And it concerns us as human beings with God the Father who is the creator. You see, the Lord Jesus also said in the next verse, that is Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as heathens do, as, as ungodly people do. For these people think they will be heard for their many words. This verse clearly makes it clear that we do not have to come before God repeating vain repetitions, saying things over and over again just to be saying it because God heard us the first time. Matter of fact, his word says before the word was even formed on your lips, he knew what you were going to say. You know, spiritual recitations are not biblical. Now, I know that there is some faith that uh, in which people have recitations. You can do that, I suppose, but that's not praying, and that's not sincere, honest praying. That's a recitation, and it's not talking to God from your heart. You may mean it sincerely, but let's move on beyond that citation or those recitations, if that's what you're doing, and get to genuine prayer from your heart, talking to a God who loves you and wants you to come to him in prayer. In verse 8 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus goes on to say, You are not to be like the other people, the hypocrites, for your father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. So then, how are we to pray, and what do we pray for? As I presented at the beginning of this sermon on prayer, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said to them, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, I read this again. This is the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to read it again because we're going, to, we're going to dissect this. This, then, is how you should pray. I, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory 
You know, throughout scripture, God tells us to ask. We're to bring our needs, our concerns, our cares, our issues. We're to bring all those to God in prayer. We are to ask God according to his will. We are to pray always, without ceasing, with all kinds of requests and supplications. And then when we pray, let's dissect this some now. When you pray, you can begin by asking and think, or begin by thanking God. Thank him for his protection. Thank him for his love, for his grace, for his mercy, for his provisions. You know, there are more than 30 scriptures in the Bible about God's protection. In particular, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. We are told, Behold, the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Also, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. In your prayers, brothers and sisters, if you're not already doing it, thank God for his love. You see, there's more than 40 scriptures about the love of God. And, and yes, sometimes if we don't really know him and have a relationship with him, it may be hard to get our mind around this God who wants to be so good and loving to us. But it's true once we accept him through his son, Jesus. Understanding the love of God for us is really where our faith journey begins. Because if we do not have the assurance and the understanding of God's love for us, our faith journey may not last very long. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance or the evidence in some interpretations about what we do not see. We believe a thing before it happens, even though we don't see it, because we believe and trust in God. It's just like with our little children. You tell a little child, whom you have been a loving father or mother to, that you're going to do something. For the most part, you've always done those things. You tell your child, uh, on, on Saturday, we're going to go to the park. Your child gets excited and begins to make all kinds of plans about going to the park. Why? Because his mother or his father has told him so or her so. And that child believes that. With everything in its fiber, that child believes that that mother or father is going to do what they said. And we're, we're to be the same way. And then Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 goes on to say that without faith, brothers and sisters, it is impossible, it is impossible to please God. For the person that comes to God must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You know, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And then Psalms 86 says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Oh, why God loves us. He's so faithful. Even when we're not faithful, he's so faithful. I mentioned to you that for almost four decades, I said, Lord, be patient with me. I did all the manner of sin and things that I wanted to do, I was not faithful to him many times, though I, I often tried to be. I was a lukewarm Christian, uh, but God was so faithful to me. He never failed me. He blessed me tremendously, and I'm so thankful for his love and his faithfulness. I thank him every night throughout the day for his goodness, that he was faithful to me and loving. And even though I sinned, 
He continued to bless me. Not all the things I wanted. No, he didn't give me all the things I wanted. There are some things I wanted desperately that I wanted deeply in my career. But he didn't give me those things. But he gave me everything I needed and almost everything I want in this life. And so for that, I am thankful and I have much to be thankful for. You know, we're to thank God for Jesus. He sent his only son whom he loved dearly to come here and die on a cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled back to him. You know, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. And then you know this one very well. John chapter 3 verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. You know, we need to have agreement and submit uh, to God. We need to accept God's will for our lives. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. I alluded to this earlier when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the word says that his drops of sweat fell like drops of blood from his body because he prayed so fervently before God the Father. Jesus knew that he was going to endure the cross. He said very clearly throughout his ministry, the Son of Man has come for this reason. But that doesn't mean he wanted to go to that cross, to be nailed, to go through the shame, the brutal beatings and whipping and scorn that he had to endure. And even most importantly, what he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that very hour of his moment as he gave up his life, he felt forsaken by God the Father, but he knew the outcome. But still, knowing what was ahead, he endured out of obedience to God the Father. Not my will, but thy will. And if that's Jesus, who the Bible tells us was with God, was God in the, in the flesh, if that's Jesus praying, then surely we ought to pray. You know, Job chapter 21, uh, verse chapter 22, verse 21 tells us to submit to God and be at peace. In this way, prosperity will come to us. And then 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, we are to humble ourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift us up in due time, God has a time and a season. Lift us up in due time according to his will and his perfect plan for our lives. When we pray, we should also have confession and forgiveness. You know, we're to confess daily. We ask Jesus to forgive us for our sins every day. Those sins that we do intentionally as well as those that we do unintentionally. The small ones, such as idle words and thoughts, not to speak of the major sins, we're to take everything to the Lord Jesus in prayer. First John chapter 1 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, brothers and sisters, from all unrighteousness. We're also to depend on God with his dependency. You know, God tells us that we are to carry all of our cares and our, 
and our worries to him, but he cares about what happens to us according to 1 Peter. And there's more than 20 scriptures on God's provision for us. He tells us in 2 Corinthians, God is able to bless God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Whatever it is that we need, I said need not want. Whatever it is that we need, God will provide. I love to cite uh, the scripture that says, never have I seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging. God will look after the righteous, his people, and he will provide for all of our needs. There are more than 30 verses on depending on God. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord. Oh, you, some of you Bible students, you know this very well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. What does that mean? He will make your path straight. God will provide. He will go ahead of you, making a way for you so that you're not in need, you're not in want. Yes, there will be trials and tribulations, and sometimes those things come in the form of accidents and incidents where we're hurt or our children are hurt or we lose someone. But in all of this, his word says that he does everything for his good, his pleasure, so that in all things, all things work for the good of God in our lives. All things work for the good of those in Christ Jesus, according to God's good and perfect will. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalms 12. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then Matthew chapter 6 goes on to say, Therefore I say unto you, be not anxious for your life. What shall you eat or what shall you drink? Nor for your body, what shall you put on? It is not the, is not the life more than the food and the body more than clothing? Behold, brothers and sisters, look at the birds of the heaven that they sow not, neither do they reap. This is Jesus talking. Nor do they gather in barns. Our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not a much more value than they? Are we not more valuable to God than the birds of the field? Of course you are. He made us in his image. One of the greatest prayers in scripture, I believe, is when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane just prior to his being arrested. So this prayer can be broken down into three parts, and that's why I love it, because first of all, Jesus prays for himself, then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for all of the believers that come after them. In like manner, we pray for ourselves first, and then we pray for our family, our spouses, our children, and then we extend those prayers outwardly uh, to others that may be in our lives and for different ministries and churches that, that are important to us. Uh, but Jesus prays for himself first. And in John, I'm sorry, yes, in John, uh, the, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus said this. He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people 
that he might give life, eternal life, to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. After praying for himself, Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with, they knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Notice, brother and sister, Jesus says, I'm not praying for the whole world. I'm praying for them, the ones that you gave me, that God will protect them. Not that God will take them out of the world or that they would not endure trials and hardships, but that God will protect them from the evil one, from Satan and the tricks of the devil who says that I come but to steal, kill, and destroy. And then I love this part especially because in this part, Jesus prays for all believers. He prays for all of us who are to come after the disciples, and because of the work that they did, Jesus prays, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know you sent me and have loved me, even as you have loved me. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. What a powerful prayer that Jesus prayed, not only for himself, his disciples, and then for all of us as believers, that we would believe the message of the disciples regarding Jesus and that we may come to be in complete unity with our Lord Jesus. So then, if prayer is so important, and we've talked about what to pray for and why we should pray and to whom we are to pray for and how to pray and how do we approach God, is there, a right or wrong, is there a right or wrong way to pray, why do we struggle? 
Why do we struggle with praying? Well, prayer, I believe, is hard because its very existence shouts that God is the only source that can make us what we ought to be. What we ought to be. Also, in prayer, we're convicted or reminded of our own shortcomings of any sin that may be in our lives. You see, prayer forces us to admit our own spiritual impotency as well as our shortcomings. But God insists through his word that until we come to him, we will really never know the full power of prayer in our lives. Also, the enemy, our adversary, the Satan, and the demonic forces, they do not want us to pray and will do everything they can to keep us from praying with all kinds of distractions and issues and stuff, stuff of life that we call it. The enemy of, of our souls want to keep us from developing from developing, developing a relationship that he knows will bring joy and satisfaction to us. Only in the process of praying will we find the meaning of life, a dynamic, personal relationship with God, our creator, the living Lord, the babe of Bethlehem, the savior of the world, the only one who is truly life to us. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. I read this to you earlier. But you know, our enemy, Satan, and his demonic forces, they know us better than we know ourselves. And they would do anything to keep us from praying. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis and the screw tape letters. C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters uh, a good number of years ago. And in these letters, screw tape is the name of a demon who holds some sort of administrative post in the bureaucracy of hell. And he has a nephew named Wormwood, who is an inexperienced younger demon. And Wormwood's job is to be a tempter. He's to tempt humans. So Screwtape writes his nephew, Wormwood, telling him it is best to keep the patient, we're called the patient, that is the Christians, the believer, from praying at all. But if the believer does pray, Wormwood should see to it that the believers invent his own prayers and that the prayer should be generally like a mood, you know, just, just talking, not really sincere, devoted prayer. And under no circumstances should we become concentrated and meditate on our prayers and really become focused. Wormwood should focus on making the believer think about his own feelings instead of God. Wormwood should make the believer just want to feel better. Rather than praying for forgiveness or courage, Wormwood is to cause the believer to feel forgiven versus really being forgiven. Humans do not know the full power, Screwtape tells his nephew, so, so we can be easily tricked into thinking about and worshiping other images and other things. And boy, do we not worship so many other things. We put so many things ahead of God. You know, screw tape goes on to say we can pray to the crucifix on the wall, but do not let the believer pray to God of Jesus. Finally, screw tape, screw tape tells his nephew, while people want to feel fully exposed to God's divine presence, in reality, we're afraid to truly experience it. 
and I can say I was proud of that way for many years myself. I really wanted to truly experience God's divine presence and experience the things that my mother and my aunts and father and others I saw experience about God, but, but I was holding back because I felt that if I got that close to the fire, which is, which is God and, and this experience, I'd have to give up some of those little friends of mine that were sin in my life. And I was quite, not quite ready to give them up. You see, as a lukewarm Christian still sitting on the fence, uh, I could rationalize in my mind these particular sins, even though there's no such thing as rationalizing uh, our sins. But God will allow us to do that. But I thank God, as I said before, that uh, he never left me nor forsook me. So consider what we are told in Ephesians chapter 6 regarding spiritual warfare and putting on the whole armor of God. I'm not going to read all of that, but I think it's very important that if you are not familiar with this particular passage of Scripture, that I want you to please go and read Ephesians chapter 6, particularly, particularly verses 10 through 18. And it reads, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against power, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that's exactly what C.S. Lewis was referring to in the screw tape letters about uh, uh, demonic forces and how they attempt to influence our lives. So brothers and sisters, we come down to it. We come down to ultimately prayer is talking to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in order to talk to Jesus, in order to talk to God through Jesus, brothers and sisters, we must come with faith. We must come with trust and we must come with belief. You say, you see, without faith, the word tells us it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists. And then Hebrews tells us in chapter one, verse uh, in chapter one, verse six, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. We must also have trust. The word tells us in Psalm 37, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act, brothers and sisters. And then we're also told, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalms 9, verse 10. We must also come to the Lord with belief. I said you must have faith, must have trust, and we must come with belief. Hebrews chapter 6 also tells us, as I said before, without faith it is impossible to please God. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but, the leap, but believes in what he says, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. How many mountains in your life as a believer have you seen God deal with? Whether it was a mountain of debt, whether it was a mountain of illness, whether it was a mountain not being employed and seeking a job, whatever that mountain was in your life, you speak to it. In the name of Jesus, you pray about it and believe 
And according to God's will, according to his will, it will happen. But you know, oftentimes we can get out of the will of God and begin to pursue things on our own. But I would encourage you to pray, fast, and seek God so that you know his will for your life. Brothers and sisters, in knowing God's will, it is important that we know and understand that God knows all of us. According to Psalms 139, we know that God has perfect knowledge of man and that there is nowhere in all of creation that we can go to flee from his presence. He hears every spoken word and he knows every thought of man. Consider what is said in Psalms 139. I'm not going to read all of it, but I do want to read these verses that says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Now, of course, this applies to, to God's people. And if you're, not a one of, if you're not already one of God's people, then I certainly encourage you to make haste and become one. Consider Psalms 50. Consider this. It says, for every beast of the field of mine, for every beast of the field is mine, and, a cattle, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Brothers and sisters, those are the words of God. It is equally important, brothers and sisters, to know and to understand that God is under no obligation to answer the prayers of sinners. Listen to Psalms 50, which also goes on to say, God says that everything in the earth is his. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes? Or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate my instructions and cast my words behind you. This is the same God who says to the apostle, who the apostle John tells us that Jesus is the son of God, who was God, is God, and was with God in the beginning, and through whom, and through whom all things were made. God listens to the godly person who does his will. Now, let's, let's understand this. God hears every spoken word. He knows every thought. But because God hears every word, every prayer that may be uttered by a sinner, everything that may be said, God hears all that. And while he may bless, because he says in his word, he reigns upon the just and the unjust. And so while things may, may seem like they're being answered by God, he may answer, he's under no obligation to do so. His word says, why should I listen to you since you hate my instruction and you cast my laws aside? God is under no requirement to listen 
to sinners. John chapter 9, verse 31 says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly who does his will. So he hears everything. But the moment the sinner cries out to God, God acts and begins to act in that person's life when you do it sincerely. The moment you cry out to God with sincerity, you mean, oh God, help me. When you're sincere, that's a start. So my brothers and sisters, I want to say thank you very much for your patience. Thank you very much for continuing to watch this entire uh, sermon. And in closing, I just want to say thank God. Thanks be to, his God, to God. Thanks be to God for his son Jesus. And that in sending Jesus, we are reconciled to God the Father. We become co-heirs in the kingdom of God. I pray, brothers and sisters, that the words that we pray are sincere. I pray that when we pray, we give God uh, thanks. We have confession of our sins and that we remember to pray continually and without ceasing. I pray that the words of this message will help you in your prayer life as you draw closer to God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And now the benediction, if you would bow with me. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Once again, brothers and sisters, thank you so much for watching. Know that we love you at Go Ye Harvest Ministry, but God loves you more. Be blessed.